We're going to be starting today a, a brand new uh, 10-week series. Uh, as Nino said, it's called Can He Be Trusted? Uh, and, and in this series, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to be starting at the end of uh, chapter 4 today. In fact, we're going to finish chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to start, and we're going to finish chapter 4. But then the next nine weeks afterwards, we're going to walk through chapters 5, 6, 7, and half of chapter 8. And we're going to be asking this question overarchingly, can he be trusted? Can Jesus actually be trusted? And, and I know for some of us, uh, that you may not be sure. You may not be sure. That might be why you're here. You're exploring Jesus. You don't know if he can be trusted. And so when I ask you, you might want to say yes. You might feel pressure of like, oh, maybe yes. I don't know. Uh, you, you might feel that. Maybe you want to say yes, but that's why you're here. You're trying to figure out, I don't know. Can he be? And others of you who are Christians, you might readily say, yes. Check, done. Can we go to the next series? Uh, yes, he can. Let's move on. Uh, but one thing that, that we're kind of thinking through in this, this series, one thing that we're going to be talking about is the question of trust. Can we trust him? It, it goes beyond just merely acknowledging, yes, I can trust you, and actually trusting someone, right? Those are radically different things. I, I can say, I trust you, and you stand behind me and say, all right, fall, I'll catch you. And I say, no, nope, that's all right, right? And so you might mentally say, yeah, Antonio won't drop me, but do I know he won't? No, not unless I fall backwards and, and he catches me. Then I know Antonio can be trusted, right? But, it, but it's not until that moment of actually trusting. And, and so what, what we're talking about is not just mentally, can he be trusted? Yes, okay, move on. It, but, but we're going after our hearts of can we actually trust him? Right, like, like are there situations that we walk through where we have to actively ask ourselves and actively trust that Jesus can be trusted as we walk through our lives? Right, or are there, are there situations that you walk through that really leave you wondering and questioning can he be trusted? I mean, when push comes to shove, right? Like, like everything that we've experienced in hashtag 2020 has been crazy, you guys, right? Like, can he be trusted when, when we do not have money in the bank or when we lose our jobs or, or worse, your job is tied to your immigration status and now you really don't know what you're going to do because you, you don't know if you can even stay in the country, Right? Or, or when your reputation has been lost, or, or when a child dies, or a parent dies, or, or a brother dies. When, when you're, you're looking at the world around you and you see injustice everywhere, can it be trusted then? Or when you're walking, you or people that you love, when you're walking through cancer or dementia, through miscarriages and divorce, and the list could go on and on and on and on. Do we trust him? Can he be trusted? Or do you find yourself, if you're honest, do, do you find yourself not really necessarily trusting in him, but trusting elsewhere when those things happen? Right? right? Trust, trusting in your bank account, trusting in your health, trusting in your, your ability to be a good moral person, trusting yourself in your education or your background or your competencies. What are you trusting in? Right? Like when things hit the proverbial fan, right? where is your ground of hope? And that's what our series is going to be all about. 
right? So I, I'm not asking, we're, 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 we're not gonna be asking as we walk through this series, what is the religious answer to this question? Right, like, oh, well, logically, yes. Yes, Jesus can be trusted. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not asking logical question of that. We're, we're looking deeper in that. We're, we're looking deeply into our souls as we actually walk through everyday life, through dark seasons and deep sadness and loss. Can he actually be trusted? And that is the exact question of the book of Mark. I don't know if you realize that when you've, been, when you've been reading through the gospel of Mark, but Mark, he's writing and he's going after your heart. He is going to present Jesus. He's gonna, he's gonna show you this is what Jesus says and this is what Jesus does. This is how he walks. These are the miracles that he does. These are the, the, all the things that he keeps doing. And Mark is gonna keep asking us all the way through the gospel of Mark, who is this man? What do you do with him? Does he care? Can he be trusted? But Mark himself isn't gonna ask us that question. He's gonna have different characters in the story ask us these big, massive, bomb kind of questions. And then he's just gonna keep moving on to his story. And so when we come across those, like we're gonna see one of those today, it's one of those things we need to really process and, and think through. So, so Mark, Mark presents Jesus and says, look at him, look at Jesus. Can he be trusted? And he's wanting us to look at ourselves as we're reading through and asking us, what do you think? Can he be? Which, which brings us to Mark chapter four, verse uh, 35 to 41. So if you have a Bible, you can open up with me. Or, or if you want uh, one of these, you can, you can grab one. Um, we have them uh, and you can write in them. Uh, I also have some, <clears throat> I have some pens and such as well. If you wanna take uh, any notes or anything like that, there you go. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you want any of these, you can come grab them. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Uh, verse, thank you so much, Jennifer. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 35 to 41. And it's going to be one of those kind of gut-level questions uh, that we're going to see at the end that's going to make us really think deeply. Also, what's interesting, uh, I didn't know this before going into study this week, um, but through the next 10 weeks, we're going to see the disciples in a boat three different times. And every single time, what's gonna happen is that the disciples, those who are following Jesus, we're gonna see their lack of faith. Every time they're in a boat, it's a lack of faith in who Jesus is and what he's up to. So uh, prepare yourself in the, in the next eight, nine weeks. If you see him in a boat, you're like, well, I know something in here is lack of faith. So uh, here we go, we're walking in. So um, what we see here though is they do trust Jesus. These are men who have left everything to follow him. They have left financial security. They've left their jobs. They've left their family. They've left everything and they're following after Jesus. And it's like nomadic lifestyle as Jesus is going to preach and teach all over the place. But what we're gonna see is when the storm comes up on the water and they think they're gonna die, they're gonna accuse Jesus of not caring about them. They're gonna say, do you even care? And, and so as we're getting started, I wonder if you've ever felt that way. So let's, let's look together at Mark chapter four, uh, starting in verse 35. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he, it's Jesus, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats 
were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats. The boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let's pray and then we're gonna dive into this text together. So Father, we, we know that you have given us your words that we may know you. And so as we come, we pray that you would send God the Spirit to help us as we gather under your word that, that we may understand and love your word, and grow to trust you more as a result of our time together. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and minds to comprehend and hearts that are soft. Apart from your work in us, we know that we will have no benefit at all today. We need you, so help us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so now, uh, if you're familiar, how many of you are familiar with this text? Maybe even have heard a sermon before on Jesus calming the storm. Everyone. All right. Uh, so uh, what, what, what we see kind of as we walk into this, and one of the, one of the things I, I can almost bet with you uh, is that the, the majority of maybe the sermons or the lessons that you've heard primarily about texts like this is that they are all primarily about the storms in your life. Right? I mean, if we're honest, that's, that's kind of what we hear. There were storms in their life. There's storms in your life too. Let me help you with the storms in your life. But, but I, 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 I would tell you, Scripture would, would tell you that, that while it is true that there are storms in your life that Jesus can calm, that is actually not at all the purpose of this text. That, that's a way of applying it maybe into your life, but, but that's not the primary reason of why this is in your Bible. Right? We, we see in, in Luke chapter four, Jesus tells us that the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, who is it all about really at the end of the day? Him, right? They're all about Jesus. The New Testament also, who is it all about? Jesus. He is the hero of every text. Everything is meant to be about him. Everything is to, to incline our hearts to see that he is God, King, and Savior. So everything is preparing us, uh, allowing us to see things that God commands us to do that we can never do on our own. Everything is pointing us to see Jesus, including this story. Every New Testament story is about that. Every Old New Testament story is like that. And so it's really easy for us as we're reading through different parts of the Bible to look through it and say, well, how is this all about us? But it's not about us. Firstly, primarily, this text is not about us. We are not the hero of this text. Jesus is always the hero. And and I don't know about you, I've known that for a long time, but then I walk through texts like this and I'm like, great, there's storms in our lives. What What are they about? I'm like, wait, nope, this, this, is not, this is not about storms in my life. This is about something about who Jesus is. And so it may take a while for some of those, those old gears to, to get unused uh, instead to, to forge some, some new ones. And, and so I, I would commend you, this text is actually all about Jesus, not some storm that, that you are walking through. See, see this text is not, is not meant to give us some moral lesson 
about how we can walk through storms in our own lives with faith instead of fear. This story is meant that, that we should see who Jesus is, just like the disciples, and, and walk into seeing him just like they did, with holy fear. Now, now that might seem like a weird thing to think about holy fear. There, there's a difference in, in fears. There's a, a holy, godly fear, and there is ungodly fear, right? A good, holy, natural fear God has given us is when we see our kids about to fall down the stairs, we jump for them. That is a holy, godly, good fear. There's also a good, godly fear between a godly dad disciplining his son. There's a godly fear there that, that, that in, 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 in invites them uh, into correct living. And, and there's a holy, righteous, good fear that we can have of God. And as you see at the very end of the story, what do the disciples have of Jesus? A holy fear. And so this is what we are after today, worshiping and seeing Jesus for who he is. And so we're gonna walk through the text together and try to see if God will help us how this text is primarily given that we might know him. Now, now the verse is open, you see in, in verse 35, it opens by letting us know that this is part of the rest of chapter four. Uh, chapter four is one day in the life of Jesus. And so uh, verse 35 picks us up at, at the very end of this day. If you're looking in your Bible, if you wanna scan through, you can see there's a couple of headings that talk about Jesus's teaching. There's parables uh, of the sower. There's why Jesus tells parables. There's parables of the kingdom. There's a few of those things. And then comes verse 35. So what we see is Jesus has spent all day teaching the crowds lots of things about his kingdom and what it is to be like. So when we reach 35, we see evening has come and Jesus is the one who initiates and tells them that it's time for them to go. Now, now if you remember in, uh, in reading through the gospel of Mark, uh, if you can look at it as well if you want to. Mark chapter one, verse 38, we see that Jesus, the whole reason that he has come is that he may go and may preach from town to town. He has this, this vision and mission that he's gonna go preaching from, from town to town. And so maybe that's why he wants to go. He's like, all right, I've preached and teach taught, taught here. All right, boys, time to go. Uh, maybe that's why he's, he's going. And so whatever the reason though, Jesus decides to leave, so they leave the crowd. And in verse 36, they're in the boat and they just pull out and they go. They don't, they don't go on land and, and do anything first. They're like, all right, here we go. And we're off. Uh, and, and Mark actually is the only one. Um, uh, Matthew and Luke also both record the story. But interestingly enough, Mark is the only one that lets us know that there were other boats there. It's not just Jesus and his disciples in a boat. There's a couple of other boats there. And so they have this like envoy of boats and they're all like, all right, let's go boating together. Uh, and so that sounds like a nice Father's Day thing to do. Let's all go boating together. And so, so they do that. They all go uh, together boating uh, and they have their little group of boats and they head out. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Middle Eastern topography, um, the Sea of Galilee, it's right next to massive mountains. And so what happens is there are these huge windstorms that come fiercely and ferociously just straight down the mountains, sort of in the same way that in like Calgary, we can have the Chinook, that, that it's, it's minus 40, and then all of a sudden it's like 10. And you're like, what happened? And this, the Chinook came in and just brought like a bunch of warm weather and just, bloop, now it's like, it, it's like spring, but it's actually the middle of January. In the same way, the Sea of Galilee has, has this going on in it. It's situated where fierce winds come down. And so most fishermen, they would actually fish at nighttime, not during the day. The wind was really bad during the day. At nighttime, it wasn't that bad. And so most fishermen did that at night. Um, but, but here we see in verse 37, a, a huge problem. 
is that a great windstorm arose. Now, if you're a circler in your Bible, circle the word great. Uh, you're gonna see that word two other times uh, in this short little uh, section, um, but, but circle that word great. It, it means mega or huge. It, it's not an average windstorm, it is a great one. And we see the greatness of it in that the wind and the waves, the water is just bursting over into the ship and, and the boat is beginning to fill. These guys are in a precarious situation. Now, Jesus has at least four guys that are fishermen, trained fishermen that are on board with him. And when you've got four trained fishermen that are fearful for their lives, you know that stuff is not going well. Like if I'm on a boat and just there's a tiny little cloud that comes over and a little wave, I'm like, okay, guys, we need to get out of here. Right, but, but these guys, they have seen lots of storms in their, in their lives. But these guys are, hey, this is, this is, a, this is a problem, and, which lets us know this kind of a storm was very rare. And it's the very point where they get very fearful for their lives. And verse 38 lets us know that Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Just asleep on a cushion. Can you imagine? You're in a massive storm. Everyone thinks you're going to die. And Jesus is just asleep on a cushion. Now, interestingly enough, this is the only time in the Gospels where we see that Jesus is sleeping. Did you know that? This is the only time they tell us. Now, he, he, he slept every day, right? I, I mean, at least when he could get time away from the crowds and actually get some sleep. Or he might be like those old men at the mall that just fall asleep on the benches. You know what I mean? Like, but he, he slept. But this is the only time that we're, that we're told that he slept, which, which reminds us that although Jesus is the eternal God, the Son, he's fully God, he is also fully man. He got thirsty and tired and hungry. And after teaching all day long, he was wiped out. He was so tired that he laid down the moment they got in. He just, he's asleep in the middle of the storm. And some of you guys that, that are new dads or, 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 or remember the days when your kids were very little, you know what it's like to be so tired that you could sleep through a windstorm even a great one, you know what I mean? Like there's hail and all that stuff going on, you're just asleep, uh, right? In, in the same way, uh, Jesus is here and he's asleep in the stern. And the disciples, feeling as if they're on the very brink of death, they look over and they see Jesus sleeping and they wake him up and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We're dying here, do you not even care? And, and in Matthew and Luke's recording of the account, it kind of makes the, the words the disciples use, they make it a little bit softer. They make it a little bit softer as if their words weren't really that harsh. Uh, but Peter, who, who was uh, Mark's uh, pastor, he, he discipled Mark and, and Mark is writing the things that, that Peter told him that he saw on a firsthand account. Uh, Mark, Peter lets us know that, that, that their words to Jesus were not a nice or a soft petition, right? They are in the process of maybe dying, if you can imagine how you would wake somebody up if there was a fire in your home, right? It's not like a, oh, hey, there's a fire. We need to go, okay? Right? No, no. That's, not how, you, that's how you wake someone up on a nice Sunday morning when, when you're just bringing them coffee in bed, right? Like, like, like th this is not what we have going on here. No, this question is, is framed in the way that desperate people speak when they are fearful. These guys are at the end of their rope. The boat is sinking, the Messiah is sleeping. And they misunderstand Jesus is sleeping to mean that he doesn't care for them. 
that, that's what they mistake it as. I mean, do you see that? Immediately their minds go to, he doesn't care about us. They're questioning his provision. They're questioning his love. They see the storm and they forget the love of the Savior. And so they accuse him. Do you not even care? Do you not even care? And that's the first question asked in these short verses. We're gonna see three other questions that are coming. Two more by Jesus and one more by the disciples. But what we see is three things. Jesus uh, awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. That's what he says in response. And, and the word rebuke is really an interesting word. We've seen it in the Gospel of Mark two other times, chapters 125 and verses 312. Uh, I, I read this week that that word rebuke, it's an interesting one. It's actually a, a technical term in Jewish exorcism. So you're exercising demons. And it, it, it's uh, for, for the commanding word uttered by God or his spokesman by which evil powers are brought into submission and the way is thereby prepared for the establishment of God's righteous rule in the world. So, so we don't know if this storm is demonically brought about, but what we do see is that, that Jesus is taking his responsibility as the king over all things, vanquishing all of God's enemies and bringing the earth into order itself which we know from Romans chapter eight is groaning to be put back right again ever since that first sin in the garden in Genesis chapter three. And he who spoke all things into creation, he who made all things out of nothing, he again speaks to his creation, rebuking it and speaking peace, telling it to be still. And the wind and the waves in obedience to the God who created them and who sustains them by the word of his power, they obeyed in an instant. The wind ceased and there was great calm. There's that second great. This is a, a mega calm. So it goes from a, a mega storm, crazy storm to mega calm. There was a great storm and Jesus, fully man, was asleep. But when he awoke, Jesus, also fully God, rebuked it and brought about calm. I don't know if we can imagine this scenario in a way that does it justice. If any of you have seen some of those movies where they're out in a boat in the middle of the ocean and there's huge waves, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen some of those movies and you're like, you don't know if they live or die yet, right? So you're seeing these huge waves and you're like, those, and you see that one wave start coming and you're like, oh, they're toast. They're gonna die, right? Imagine it at just that moment, boom. It's just silent and peaceful and still. You'd be like, what just happened? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. And yet this is what we see right here in this moment, right? We see the storm, the scariness, the, all these things just stop at the very command of Jesus. This is Jesus's power and authority on display. This is God himself speaking into creation and bringing order where there is chaos. And after all this, in the calm of that moment, so, so imagine just, oh, they're all just looking around now like, what just happened? If you can imagine that situation, like, what? Jesus turns to them. And you're like, what is, what's he going to say? He, he turns to them and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So 
The faith question is an interesting one to me here. Mark has only used it once in the book so far. There's a story, I don't know if you remember it, it's in Mark chapter two. There's a paralytic. Remember in his, his friends, they, they bring him to Jesus, but there's a crowd around Jesus. They can't get near the home, so they scurry up the sides and they dig a hole and they drop him down in the middle of this person's home, which if you do that here, I'll be very upset at you. Don't, don't cause a hole in, in, in my ceiling. Uh, but but they, they do this, and when they, when they see, when Jesus sees their faith, he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So, so when he saw their faith, that's the only other time the word faith is used so far in the gospel of Mark. Yet here we have, we have the disciples who should have faith, and yet they don't. The paralytic and his friends, they had faith. They came to Jesus here. Have you still no faith? There's, there's a dissonance there. See, see, the real threat to the disciples is not a lack of knowledge. They have heard Jesus preaching with great authority. They have seen Jesus casting out demons from people. They have seen Jesus look at a man that has leprosy and a man that's a paralytic who cannot walk, and he speaks, and immediately their bodies are better. You, you, you can't make someone with leprosy better. You can stop leprosy from getting worse, but you can't reverse any of the effects. But Jesus, in a moment, speaks, and it's better. He, he tells someone who, who cannot walk to walk, and his muscles are all of a sudden there. Like if, you haven't, if you've ever seen someone who's been atrophied and they, they've been a paralytic for a year or two, even if they were to somehow regain strength in their legs, what do they have to do? Rehab for a long time. There's no rehab when Jesus says you're better. He's just better and, and immediately can walk and jump. And so they, it's not for a lack of knowledge. They, they've seen Jesus's authority. They've heard his teaching. They've seen his miracles. The question isn't do they have knowledge, but rather do they have no faith? See, the threat to the disciples' faith is doubt and fear. They knew Jesus cared for them, right? Think, think about it. They left everything to follow him. Why? Because he cared for them. Do you think they would follow him, leave behind everything if they thought Jesus didn't care? No, that would be silly, right? Why would you follow somebody that you don't think even cares about you? And I think this is the most heartbreaking part of this entire story. See, they know Jesus. They have lots of information about Jesus. They have a lot of firsthand experience. If they had been asked earlier in the day, right, they're sitting around by the lake and Jesus is teaching and it's all just kind of soft and nice. If someone said, hey, do you think Jesus cares about you? What do you think they would say? Yes, undoubtedly, yes. And yet one great storm leads to one stunning accusation. See, but Jesus did care. That's the whole point. He came. God the Son, God himself, laid humanity alongside of his divinity and stepped into time to reveal to us the love of God the Father. And he's headed to the cross, the greatest picture of love possibly imaginable. If you want to know if God cares about you, if God has concern and love for you, you just see it displayed on the very cross of Jesus See, Jesus cares so much that he would willingly lay down his life in our place, standing condemned before the Father in our place, taking upon himself the punishment for our sin. He cares that much, way more than the disciples can even see at this point. And that's the faith bit. Well, what about the fear bit? See, see, Jesus asked them why they were afraid. And so I was looking at that and studying that. And what was the fear that motivated them? 
What are they afraid of? Death. They're afraid of dying. You see that? They're afraid of dying. They thought he didn't care that they were perishing. So firstly, care, but but more than that, their greatest fear is that that they were going to die. They must have feared dying out there on the water, and and we're not told that expressly, but that's the conclusion from the text. They're afraid of losing their lives, when in reality, God had orchestrated this very event, not that they would die, but rather that their faith would be increased. Isn't that amazing? God didn't plan this so that they would die, right? Jesus can't die yet. He's got to die on the cross. They're with Jesus. They're they're protected with with Jesus up until the day he's going to to die. But interestingly enough, as church history lets us know that that after Jesus is led to the cross and he dies and he raises from the dead, the disciples, these very same guys who are afraid of dying, they live with joyful self-abandon. It's astonishing Although they may die sharing the good news of Jesus with others, although they may perish, they will perish, but they will have eternal life. They may be killed, but their souls will be untouched for they are hidden in Christ, which leads them to sacrificially give their lives away for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus at great cost to themselves. As one missionary, uh, Charlotte or Lottie Moon, this is what she says. She says, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Isn't that good to know? This is what's true for us in Christ. We're immortal until, until all of our work is done that God has planned for us. From before we were born, all of our days are written in his book. How many of us walk around fearing death, fearing the unknown, fearing what if I lose my life or what will happen to me, anxious about many, many things when when the reality is that we have God who knows the end from the beginning, who knows every day that we will live. Imagine what that does and how that changes us as his people. See, this is true for us as Christians. We are not our own. We're bought at a price. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. But, but back to our story. There, there was a great windstorm, great windstorm. Then there's a really great calm. And then in verse 40, we see the disciples are filled with a great fear. That's the third time the word great is used. Mark Mark really wants us to know there's a great windstorm, there's a great calm, and as a result of seeing all that Jesus has done, they're filled with a great fear. Literally, if you want to look this up on uh, Blue uh, Blue Letter Bible, um, what you'll see in the Greek there is it says, they feared a great fear. They're very afraid. (laughs) They're very afraid as they sat in the boat in the calm of the water, but not because of the storm, they became very fearful, a holy fear, in thinking about, who is this man? If, if you and I were out at Lake, uh, on Lake Winnipeg, and there's a huge storm. I was there on Tuesday. There was a storm that came. It was not fun. It was raining that we left. Um, but, but imagine we were out there, and all of a sudden, you stood up and said, peace be still, and boom. I would say, who is this man? Who is this woman? What is this? In the same way, these guys, they're looking, they're, they're filled in their soul, in their hearts with a, a holy fear. Notice, though, that we aren't told that they ever had a great fear of the storm, but rather a great fear in thinking about Jesus who calmed the storm. Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, she has a great children's Bible that we read to our kids often. Uh, she says it was at this moment 
that there was a different kind of storm that arose in the hearts of the disciples. One storm is calm, but when Jesus does that, another storm arises in the hearts of the disciples. And the men say to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And I don't know about you, as we're reading through this text, this reminds me of something we've seen in the Old Testament. Remember? The book of Jonah, where we've seen the same sort of a thing. There's a a storm, and there's the stilling of the storm, and then there's the worship of God. But this also reminds me of the book of Exodus. In the book of, of Exodus, we see God perform miracle after miracle to liberate his people demonstrating that he alone is God and the gods of of the Egyptians are worthless idols. God does all this to show that there's only one true and living God and it's not any of the gods of the Egyptians. And we read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord Right, remember it's a good, a right, and a pleasing thing to fear the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. They saw his works and they put their trust in him. And Mark ends the story with the disciples asking one another this question. So the question for the disciples is the same one that are first reading this, and then extends to us: Does he care? Can he be trusted? Or more specifically, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, this story in the Gospel of Mark, like we said earlier, is not meant for us to talk about the storms in our lives and how Jesus can still them in a moment, although that is true. But it's meant for us to see the authority of Jesus on display, see if we trust him like that, to see if we fear him like that, to see if we love him like that. We're to see the authority of Jesus on display and to fear him, and out of our fear here, Fear of him, we're meant to sit in that feeling to see if we will also turn and believe upon him as the only true and living God. We are to see the great power of God on display in the life of Jesus, and we are to turn and believe upon him for who is like him? Who is like him? We are supposed to read through this and say, Who is like this man? No one. No one. No one is like him. And as a result, we're to continue examining the book of Mark and the rest of the Bible to see how great he cares. He does care. We're to see the cross and the punishment that he bore on our behalf, God himself standing condemned in our place, Jesus taking upon our punishment and then dying and rising bodily from the dead. And we're to see the mighty works of Jesus and we are to fear the Lord and as a result to believe upon Jesus. For to Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and on the earth. And there is a day coming where every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on that day, everyone will be filled with fear. Some will be filled with a fear that is mixed with love and hope and comfort and joy and rest. And others will have a fear that is mixed with hate and spite and distaste for him. But every knee will bow on heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. Every knee will bow. And Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, those who are his and those who are not. And I wonder, where will you be? Have you come to trust in him? Is he your savior and is he your God? Does he care and can he be trusted? 
And to my Christian brothers and sisters, as we read and study through God's word, one of the things I couldn't get over this week is how the disciples rebuked Jesus. They, they didn't come to him and cry to him for help or wake him up and ask him gently, but rather abruptly woke him up and claimed he doesn't care about them. They didn't feel like it because of what they were walking through. So I would ask you, my brother or sister in Christ, do you do this? Do you forget who Jesus is and how he cares for you? And when we walk through really tough things, is it the forefront of our mind, come hell or high water, whatever happens, I know, I know he cares and I know he can be trusted and I don't understand this, but I do know that. So the, the storms can come, the waves can come, you can die trusting and believing that come what may, he can still be trusted. I mean, we know he has all authority, all authority. And this is why we, we, we need, oh, we need to remember that. We, we need to remember he cares and, and we need one another as brothers and sisters, as the saints to remind us of our hope in him. We need his word that calls us back to remember that he does care, that he does love us. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. In fact, so much so that he was forsaken for us, that we might be welcomed in. He was sent outside of the city so that we might be welcomed into the family of God. He was abandoned by all that we might be received by God. He has not forgotten you, brother and sister. He's not forgotten you. He does care. You are being held in his hand and nothing can snatch you from it. Oh, how great is his love for you in Christ Jesus. So let's pray, and then we're gonna respond by singing a bit together. So Jesus, I, I'm thankful for today and the opportunity we have to gather under your word. I'm thankful for how you love us. I'm thankful for how we can see that you do care and that you do love us. I pray that we would continue to be a, a church of people that are reminding reminding one another and are reminded as we walk through your word that you can be trusted, come what may. As we walk through various things in our lives, God, may we see and know and believe that you can be trusted. Not just, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. May we, may we feel the truth of that. And may we trust you. May we lean on you. Oh, give us grace, we pray. We, we know that, that trusting and, and knowing and believing that you care for us it won't come as we white-knuckle determine our way into it. But we know it's a grace and a gift of you that you give us by your spirit. And so we pray, God, that, that we would remember that you are the God who's keeping us. You are the God who's preserving us. You are our good Father. Help us know that we can trust you. Let us be reminded that you care. Let us see the authority of Jesus. And, and may we, like the disciples, after they see, know, and believe of Jesus dying and rising from the dead, may we be so filled with confidence that we look at our earthly lives and, and like Paul, count dying as gain. May we leverage our lives to making much of you. Oh, we know you care about us. We've seen your cross. We've tasted the grace and kindness that you give us. Help us, God, continue to think through even in our own lives of different ways that, that we may mentally say we trust you, but, 
But really, at the end of the day, we don't. Help us move beyond just mere knowledge of you into a, a love and a passion and a, a heart for you that cannot be shaken. Oh God, we trust you. Help us trust you more.